G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is entitled A Heart-Stopping Gift and it focuses on Acts chapter 5 verses 1 to 11 and the story of Ananias and Sapphira. The first reading is from Acts chapter 5 verses 1 to 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Loving Lord God, uh, we thank and praise you for your word to us and is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. And as we un- unpack this, this shocking and very difficult uh, passage in the Bible to understand, we pray that you would help us to uh, grow in generosity, in, te- in integrity and in truthfulness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're looking at one of the most shocking stories in the Bible. It's a story of dollars, deceit, and death. So far in our What Happened Next series, we've seen the Holy Spirit building a community. First at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit takes the believers out of hiding and into the temple to boldly preach the gospel. 3,000 joined the church that day. Then over the last couple of weeks, we've seen how the Holy Spirit empowered Peter first to heal a lame beggar and then use it as a preaching opportunity before the same mob of people who condemned Jesus to death. Acts 4.4 tells us that many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. And this is an ancient way of counting. They counted only the men. So with women and children, that number could have been up to 10,000 people. 
the Holy Spirit acts through ordinary disciples to take the good news of Jesus out into the world and thousands join the church. Not even opposition and persecution from outside the church can stop it from rising. Today we're going to see how all of this progress comes to a bit of a precipice. It's the fall of the church, if you like. Ananias and Sapphira choose to reject the Holy Spirit's authority over their lives, and they are exposed. A couple try to keep up with the Joneses, they lie to the Holy Spirit, and in God's grace, we have a warning for ourselves today. Our story begins not in Acts 5, but in Acts chapter 4. And I encourage you to open up in your pew Bibles to page 1353. 1353, Acts chapter 4. Because it really gives us the context and sets the scene. The reading that we had is really the second half of an account about the generosity in the early church. Look at verse 34. It says this, There were no needy persons among them. This is in the church. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, remember that name, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Luke gives us the example of Barnabas, an encourager, who sells a whole field and gives all the proceeds to the apostles to share among the members of the church. The story of Acts 5 is a flip side of the story of Barnabas. The Holy Spirit inspires radical generosity in the church and it grows as people join the community and share freely. So no one goes without. Today, people point to this radical generosity as a form of communism. They'll say that the first Christians shared everything they had, so we should have no property rights today. There was a community like this. They were called the Essenes, and they had a community at Qumran. In order to enter this community, you had to sell all your possessions, and everything was added to a common pot. However, this is not what is happening in the church. What's clear in Acts is that all this sharing is voluntary. People meet in each other's houses because they still own houses. They sell their property because they still own the things for themselves. The Holy Spirit inspires voluntary generosity. The reason no one is in need in the church is because the Spirit is inspiring them to care for one another, not because they're forced into giving everything away. And this is where a different spirit takes hold of two members of the church. We read in Acts 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. This word also 
connects the actions of Ananias and Sapphira with the previous chapter, with Barnabas. It's clear that Ananias and Sapphira are part of the church already, just like Barnabas was. It's possible that they were leaders in the church. Sadly, Luke tells us in verse 2, With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Why are these two giving? They want popularity and praise. They want to make a statement like Barnabas, but their motives are totally different. They're doing it to keep up with the Joneses. Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself the money received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, if you're anything like me, you may be thinking, well, what's the big deal? If it was Ananias' money anyway, what does it matter that he told a little white lie to make himself look good? He didn't steal or hurt anyone. I've done things like that before and worse. Is God capricious and unforgiving that he zaps Ananias for fudging the books a little? Well, look around you. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Ananias and Sapphira are the exception that proves the rule. God is gracious to us all the time and doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. The question we need to ask ourselves is why did Ananias die while I'm still breathing? The fact that we often downplay the gravity of what Ananias and Sapphira do is because we have calloused hearts. We're so used to deception and sin. And so this is why it's helpful that Peter highlights the issue. Ananias has lied not just to him and to the people, but particularly to the Holy Spirit, and therefore to God. This is one of the clearest examples in the scriptures of how the Holy Spirit is God. In a sense, this whole incident puts a stamp of authority on the Holy Spirit's ministry. The Holy Spirit is empowering the church closely at this point. Sin and evil can't stand in the presence of God. And Ananias' fate foreshadows the judgment that we will all face on the last day. Theologian N.T. Wright says, If you invoke the power of the Holy One, the one who will eventually right all wrongs and sort out all cheating and lying, he may just decide to do some of that work already in advance. This is also not the first time in the Bible where people have committed seemingly minor offences and paid for it 
with their lives. Ananias and Sapphira are the Adam and Eve of Acts. Remember how Satan slithered into Eve's heart. Lust and greed gripped her, and both she and Adam fall. And death reigns from this point on. In Joshua 7, a soldier by the name of Achan steals some items devoted to the Lord from the ruins of Jericho. He thinks he's going to get away from it, but God exposes his sin, and he and his family pay for it with their lives. In 2 Samuel 6, a server called Uzzah touches the Ark of the Covenant to keep it steady. The Ark of the Covenant is, is on the road, it's moving on this cart, and he just, he just reaches out to steady it because he's worried that it will fall off, and he dies instantly. Another example is Judas. Peter says, how has Satan come into your heart, Ananias? Satan comes into Judas's heart and tempts him with 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. And he comes to a sticky end shortly after. All these examples come from pivotal points in salvation history where God is gathering a community and establishing his authority over it. These graphic and sad examples show us the link between sin and death. All that is evil and in opposition to God will be judged. And on rare occasions, God uses swift and graphic judgment to expose sin and warn us against it. Sadly, Ananias has no opportunity to repent. But Sapphira does. Look at this in verse 7. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me if this is the price you and Ananias got for the land. Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men, then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Sapphira has every opportunity to repent and say, Look, in all honesty, that wasn't the price. We got more and we kept some. She was perfectly within her right to do that. They could have, they could have kept the majority of the money and only given a portion. But she doesn't. She agrees to test the spirit and is buried beside her husband. Now, at this point, I think it's important to stress that Ananias and Sapphira were both believers, and there's no indication here that they forfeited or lost their salvation. It's not for me to judge where people will spend eternity, but I won't be surprised if I see them in glory. God is not to be mocked, but there's no indication here that Ananias and Sapphira 
committed an unforgivable sin. In this pivotal moment in the life of the early church, we see that the Holy Spirit cannot be deceived. God takes sin seriously. He's serious about the righteousness of his people. He takes sin seriously enough to warn us of its consequences. We need to heed the warning found in this passage and repent of the way we ourselves try to lie to the Holy Spirit. Our passage concludes with these somber words. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The book of Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. After all the progress statements of amazing miracles, generous community, and rapid growth, this passage shows us the first Christians weren't perfect. It almost seems like an airbrushed story of rambunctious success and constant growth. But here we see that Luke is giving us an honest account of the problems that crop up in the church very quickly. What happens to Ananias and Sapphira is a miracle. It's a miracle in its own right. Sometimes we think miracles are only positive things. But this is an act of God, a weighty act, but a miracle all the same. So what are we to do with this passage? Should we check our life insurance policies before the collection is taken up this morning? Do we need to train our welcomers in getting the truth out of people? Perhaps not. But still, this passage calls us to grow in at least three ways. First way we can grow is through generosity. We need to be generous with our wealth even when Satan tempts us to withhold. Yesterday, I went to the ATM to get a wedding gift for my friend, um, and it's amazing how quickly there's a voice in the back of your head that says, do you really need to give that much away? Maybe you could just, maybe you could just give three quarters of that, or maybe you could just give half. Hold on to that. And, and it was, it, the voice got louder and louder as I got to the ATM, and as soon as I made the transaction, whacked it out, put it in the card, I was like, The voice stopped. It was amazing. (laughs) When we are tempted to withhold, the radical generosity of Acts reminds us that this is something we are called to today. God has been generous to us, and we get, get to be generous to others in return. Imagine what it would be like if all the Christians all over Dolby sold the possessions that they don't necessarily need, the items that are rusting in our sheds, the properties and boats and, 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 and things that, that we don't actually need. If we shared our possessions and distributed the proceeds with those in need. It was amazing the outpouring of generosity when um, we had that appeal for for the fires at the beginning of the year. And we just filled up that whole baptistry with, with, with items that people could live without. Wouldn't it be awesome 
if it could be said of us that there were no needy people among us. We give not to keep up with the Joneses or to make a name for ourselves, but in every sacrifice we make, we glorify God and bless others. What a wonderful double blessing. The second thing we are called to grow in is honesty. We shouldn't conform to the standards of dishonesty set by the world around us. Some of us might say, well, I'm a little more honest than others. And Ananias and Sapphira might have said, whoa, come on, everyone's doing it. Everyone's trying to embellish themselves in our culture. Instead, we need to remember that God sees us and knows us. He loves us and he does not tolerate our sin. When we fudge our taxes, when we take things from work that don't belong to us, when we bulk up our hours on our timesheets, when we cut corners in jobs. We're not just lying to those around us, we're lying to the God we claim to live for. It's amazing how in Acts, persecution from outside the church just helps it to grow. But dishonesty from within the church undermines its integrity and its witness. While the lies we tell might not be met with instant consequences, we need to remember God is a God of justice, and one day we will all have to give an account to him of what we've done with the lives we've been given. The final thing we're called to is Barnabasity. Barnabasity, which is a word I made up last night. Barnabasity. <laughs> Remember, this story is a comparison between Ananias and Sapphira and Barnabas and Barney, generous old Barney. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, is the one we are to emulate, to follow. Barnabas cared for others. He was radically generous. Barnabas loved God and he was honest with who he was and what he was about. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, so he lived to share the good news of Jesus. At the coronation service last night, King Charles swore to follow King Jesus in a life of service. And our Commonwealth prayed that he might be a servant, a servant king like Jesus. Barnabas gives us another great example of what this is all about. A life worth living and a life worth emulating. Barnabasity. So may God make our church a place of radical generosity, integrity and honesty, and sheer Barnabasity. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.